Welcome inside the lab at Formula 4 Media. I am Bob McGee, and today I'm speaking with Stephen D'Angelo, one of four brothers who's leading the growth of 47, a Boston company co-founded by their 89-year-old father, Arthur, and late Uncle Henry after World War II, the company which operates a giant licensed fan and souvenir shop in the shadows of Fenway Park, was once known as Twin Enterprises. Stephen, the youngest of the D'Angelo brothers, oversees all sales, marketing, and legal relations for 47. He has also been heavily involved in transitioning the company from a supplier place to a consumer-centric brand that is today a licensed partner of Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, and over 900 collegiate programs. Good afternoon, Mr. D'Angelo. Well, first, let's start off, you know, with Fanatics taking over the NBA store operations, everything that's going on with Genesco and Lids and VF's recent announcement that it may be putting its licensed business on the block. Could you provide our listeners with, a, with your perspective on where the sports li- licensed business is today and where your brand, 47, fits into all of it? There's a, um, you know, there's a significant um, consolidation that's happening right now from the supply side to the retail side. And... What you're seeing is is that I think what's going to become more and more apparent is Fanatics is going to start getting more and more traction. Obviously, they control all the URLs right now with the leagues and um, they with the NBA store, and then they're starting to get into the concession business. They're going to continue to become a more and more major player uh, in the states. And and what the beauty about what 47 we can provide. I mean, Genesco and Lids are, are dominant players with thousand stores, brick and mortar stores. Their website presence is going to continue to grow. They're, they're not going anywhere, you know, in terms of the license business. Um, their business is starting to get healthier and better right now. Where we sort of live and breathe is in the fan and the enthusiast within um, Major League Baseball and all the other leagues. And I think what you're going to see is there's going to be the consolidation. So you're going to have the on-field partners, and then you're going to have a lot less guys, um, licensees, with the ability to sell across channels of distribution and product categories. And just where we're sitting right now, we're sitting in a really, really good place with licenses across all leagues in headwear, apparel, and socks in most channels of distribution that's um, that we represent and we have the ability to sell. So our actual business is going to continue to grow. We were up 17% over the last 20, uh, 12 months, and we're already up for the year. Um, in the first quarter, we're up uh, another 15%. So our business is really, really healthy, and that's just through really good uh, product that we're making and um, telling a brand story that's really compelling to the consumer. So um, I think some guys are going to find it more and more challenging to find places where they're going to be able to win. The way we're set up with the product offering that we have and our distribution, we're in a really, really good position. Well, secondly, let's talk about, I know that um, uh, your company has a great history. Could you discuss you know, your, co- your company's transition from Twin Enterprises to 47? You know, When did that occur? What was involved? And could you, pro- could you provide our listeners with a few anecdotes about the early years? I know that your dad and Uncle Henry have some interesting stories about you know, hawking goods at Fenway, and you, I guess you and your brothers uh, hawked stuff at uh, the former uh, stadium uh, of the New England Patriots. Yeah, I mean, we, we, um, when we were growing up, it was sort of implied that you know we were going to work, and so we worked. Uh, we all played sports, but when we weren't, we didn't have sports. Uh, we went to work the Red Sox games, and we worked behind the counter. Um, so every weekend, all the way through uh, elementary school, junior high, and then high school, we were always behind the counter 
working Red Sox games. And, and even in college, my dad made it perfect. We, we didn't have a lot of money. And he said, listen, I'm going to pay for college. The expectation is, is that you guys need to come home on weekends. So you know, if you guys can get into Harvard, I'll find a way to pay for Harvard. If you can't, you're going to UMass, because at that time it was literally um, 60 70% less than every other private institution with being an hour and a half away from Boston, you still had the ability to go work Red Sox games. And at the time, we used to work the parking lots at Fenway Park, uh, excuse me, at, uh, at um, Sullivan Stadium. And then we took over the inside of Sullivan Stadium. And then, so, so the basic requirement was for us to go home on weekends and work, uh, work Red Sox games or Patriots games. And that was just part of who we were and what my father's expectation was. I'm the youngest of four. My brother Bobby started it, and then my brother Mark, and then my brother David, and then we did it. And it sort of gave us a work ethic that sort of, at the time, not a lot of our peers had to had to deal with, but it made us sort of who we are today, a work ethic and knowing the value of money and what it meant and how to run a business and how to look at the intricacies of a business from really the street. And, and that sort of made us really a, a successful company, I think. And, you know, the challenge was we were Twins Enterprise, and Twins Enterprise was, we always had some levels of confusion with the Minnesota Twins. It wasn't really a consumer-facing brand name, and we we made a decision probably about 10 years ago um, for our business to take it to the next level. It was really important for us to start thinking um, through the lens of the consumer and not be a supply-side company that made a really good product and sold it to retail, but sort of flipped it around and, and looked at looked at how we were how we were showing up at retail, how we were making products, how we were displaying our stuff at retail through the eyes and the lens of the consumer. So the challenge was is we had this heritage of twins enterprise. My father and uncle were identical twins and you know, it wasn't so easy to, to, to get rid of that name. So we started to just look at symbols and logos because and, we wanted to externally brand our hat headwear, but we just never landed on anything. So we just we kept brainstorming for a name that gave us still a continuity and a, a nod to the past and the heritage of our company. So uh, my dad and uncle started selling tennis around Fenway Park in 1947, and that really is what it was. So we said, can we make a number work on the side of a cap? And the answer was we could. And so we, it was hard for my, you know, going to my dad and saying, Dad, listen, we're getting rid of the you know, Twins Enterprise and we're going to this 47. And he said, if you guys think it's the right thing to do, then let's just do it. So it was probably the, the most important step that we made in, in our company because it, it started again for us to be go from the supply side company to this consumer facing brand and now you know we sell 25 million to 30 million hats a year we've had the external branding piece for more than four years now there's more than 100 million hats in circulation with our 47 on it so the brand is starting to get traction and then you layer in the apparel and the socks with all our, our branded and then you look at our signage and our fixturing and our in-store execution and the quality of product. We, we don't think anyone is matching what we're doing, and it's still a, it's still a, a brand that the house you know basic household doesn't know about. But when you talk about to people, and we do we do 
all sorts of focus groups, and we, we, we sit down, and people that know our brand love our brand because of the quality of the product and the emotion that it sort of, it, it makes them feel like people, you know, they've gotten engaged in our caps, they've gotten married in our caps, they wouldn't give up their caps or their, you know, or their sweatshirt or T-shirts, their favorite product in their closet, and that's something that's, that no one else is sort of delivering right now in the licensed space. Uh, okay, and I know that you know. Obviously, you have a long history. Your, your father and his his brother have long ties to Fenway Park and Major League Baseball, given the proximity of the shop. But how did you transition to the NFL, NBA, and college, and move beyond caps into apparel? Well, the, so at the time, actually, we had uh, the light. The, the licensing wasn't was you know wasn't nearly as sophisticated as it is today. So. At the time, we had a local license to do anything that we wanted with Boston Red Sox. Um, so my father developed all sorts of different products and sourced them and brought them in for the store. We were, you know, we were the big store across the street from Fenway Park. And then at the time, you could sell to other concessions at ballparks. So my father went to um, he went to he went over to Hong Kong and then he went to Taipei and he looked. You know, in a phone book, he hired an interpreter, and he just went around to factories and he started importing baseball caps. Uh, and the company, you know, that he dealt with, literally, um, uh, you know, it was it was in the '60s. That same company today has over 12,000 employees from from 40 when my father started. So it's an extremely long-term relationship that meant a lot. So once we started having the ability to sell to other concessions and to our own store, um, we ended up getting a license with Major League Baseball, um, and then the natural progression was to try to go outside of baseball. So we got an NBA license, and then we got an, um, an NFL license, and we got an NHL license, and we started doing colleges because that's just what made sense to retail to, to have a, a much larger assortment than just Major League Baseball. And then we, you know, the apparel piece was was something that dabbled in a little bit, but um, that was also about 10 years ago when we wanted to become a consumer-facing brand. What made the most sense to us was to tell a much more complete story. So there was a company, uh, a local guy here, who still uh, works for us, Craig Rohde, who started this company called Banner Supply, and he had really beautiful, beautiful product, um, but had no real distribution, didn't have the ability to get the rights to the different leagues. And we saw what we thought was a white space in the market that was really, it was Peruvian cotton, it was high-end stuff that we had a 25,000 square foot store, and I didn't know in a Boston Red Sox t-shirt or sweatshirt, and I said, my God, and he was doing some colleges at the time, if we could take that product and we could make that into the professional leagues, there's a real business opportunity here. So that's what we did. We ended up purchasing Banner Supply Company. We transitioned it all to eventually to 47. So it was all under the same logo and look and feel. And, and we then started selling apparel and headwear. And two years ago, we started to get into socks so we could tell a head-to-toe story. And sort of the rest is history. And you know, what, what's been the biggest change as you transitioned from you know, largely a souvenir shop and MLB cap brand to a national and international sports lifestyle brand? And also, can you talk about your know, distribution outside of the United States? Do you have some today? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 you know, if you look at most uh, multinational brands and companies, um, 50% of their business comes from outside of the United States. I mean, ours is a little bit different because we're so centric on and concentrated on American sports lifestyle. 
but we we started the transition to go outside of that. So we did a worldwide headwear deal, scarf and um, deal with and knits with Liverpool and with Man City. So Manchester City. So we now have worldwide deals with those guys. We signed a worldwide deal with Major League Baseball. Um, we have a worldwide deal with the National Hockey League, and then we're starting to get into Nippon baseball, Korean baseball, Australian Aussie rules football. And we're starting to look at sort of um, trying to create this feeling in each market where we get into whatever the indigenous sport is in that market and then layer in um, lifestyle uh, Americana into that story. And it's starting to, 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 to really grab some traction. We opened up offices in, in London, in Korea, in Japan. We're in the process of opening up in um in Mexico. Um, so we're, we're aggressively going after the international business. It represents a small percentage of our business, now about 7%. But we think in the next three to five years, there's no reason why it can't represent 40% of our business done right. And the really other interesting part is, is that um, the world is, with social media, it's a really small place. So what's happening here in the United States, you know, gets buzzed around the world really quickly. So if you're, if you have product placement on, on famous people that are trendsetters that get it. The rest of the world sees it really quickly, and they want that brand. So um, the ability to get people to wear your product here um, translates to sales across the across the globe, and that's what and that's what we're seeing. I mean, every day there's new blogs out, there's new information out, there's new pictures out of uh, of famous people wearing our product and the external branding. People are starting to see it and it's getting real traction. So it's really, really exciting. And uh, so let's just uh, take a couple of questions and talk about the hometown roots for a second. Uh, I know that reading some of the clips, your dad had sold water, political pennants, uh, baseball memorabilia and license wear during his long career in the business, meeting some of the game's greats in baseball, such as Ted Williams. But I wanted to ask you, you know, what did the Red Sox first championship in 86 years back in 2004 mean to him and to your business as a whole? Yeah, it was, so the new ownership took over in 2002 and, and immediately started to make changes in, in, in a really positive way. So so our business started to build in 2002 at retail, um, and then obviously the culmination of that was in 2004 with the Red Sox winning it. So, so as we, we were, you know, when the World Series was going on, I'm sitting around with my brothers, and we're just, it's just mayhem. And the registers are going crazy. The fans are just really just so into it, and, and you remember that we beat the Yankees, right? So that was sort of, the, you know, we were all really crazy diehard Red Sox fans, and it felt like that was our World Series. So beating the Yankees was the first meaningful game in our lifetime that the Red Sox finally had beaten the Yankees. And that was amazing. So they're down three, um, they come back and win four straight, and so we're, you know, and Fenway Park is a magical place. The fan base uh, is a magical fan base. And uh, I'm really comfortable with the Red Sox being competitive but not necessarily winning it. So I'm sitting around talking to my brothers, and I'm like, you know, I, I know this may sound crazy, but we have a really good thing going here. If they win it, does this potentially like, change the way fans come to Fenway Park and their buying habits and you know, we'll have a short-term real bump, but we'll do for the long run. So maybe we should move to the Cardinals. And my brother's like, really, really, really? I'm like, I think, you know, I think just, I know as fans we want to win, but beating the Yankees was so meaningful 
maybe we, you know, if we could write the script, maybe this isn't the year they win it. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then we went to my dad, and, and he's like, he's looking at us like, he goes, are you guys crazy? He goes, this may be the last chance I get to see the Red Sox win. Of course I want. So he said, all right, we're rooting for, we're rooting for the Red Sox. And it was, it was, he cried. I mean, it was, it was reality. I mean, it was, when they won, it was absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing. It is, you know, he, he could have, I think, he could have, he could have left the planet at that point and been one happy, happy man. So 2004 was amazing and 17 and then, excuse me, seven and then 13. Now it's just like, it's a, it, it, it feels like if you don't win, it's painful now. And actually, just a little more somber note, obviously three years ago here uh, ne- uh, next month in April, the Boston Marathon bombings occurred, and I know that your company made and sold baseball caps with the Boston Strong Patch. And I just want to know if you could talk a little bit, what was the local reaction to that product, and you still sell the cap? Yeah, we, we, we don't. Um, we kind of agreed with everybody that it was going to be a limited edition. So, so obviously the tragedy, I mean, it was, it was horrible. And at the time, uh, it was it was a feeling like, okay, what can we do? How can we help? And what makes sense? And um, and obviously, headwear is a natural place. So, with the Red Sox and Major League Baseball and the mayor at the time, we we got together and we said, let's do this Boston Strong cap. Uh, and you know, it was Red Sox, Boston Strong. So we all the proceeds went to the one fund and. It was it was so much more than just a cap. It was sort of a rallying cry. It was people that came from really we were shipping them around the country and around the world, and it was it was people's way people's way of feeling connected to this tragedy to to say we're all Bostonians, we're all we're all Boston strong, and it lasted not for a long time. We 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 wrote a check to the one fund for uh, over a million for. Seven hundred thousand, um, and it was one of the most gratifying things that we'd ever done as a company. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just the four of us and my dad. It was the, it was the whole company. And we were here weekends making hats. We were, we did everything we possibly can could for the one fund. It was a rallying cry. Everybody was so into it. It was national media attention, but it was about really selling cats and. And, and 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 being Boston uh, strong and and really giving the money to everybody that you know part of the tragedy. I mean, it was just it was just absolutely horrible. We're, we're talking about potentially coming back with some limited edition to give all you know to to give it to figure out what charity to to, to be part of. But um, at this point, there's no imminent plan um, to do it. But it was it was really amazing. Finally, today, uh, Mr. D'Angelo, I wanted to just if you could, if you could just tell our listeners. Uh, a couple of important business lessons your dad has taught yourself and your and your brothers, and and, and finally, you know what what's been Forty Seven Secret to Survival and Success when so many other licensed brands uh, have fallen out of popularity or falling out of business altogether over the last thirty years. I mean, he he he, he taught us you know lessons and and, part, and 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 sort of lessons the most important lessons that sort of ring true. Um, for us and our company is, is is hard work. I think is first and foremost is outwork your competition. If you outwork your competition, good things typically happen. Treat everybody how you want to be treated. So, from from a homeless person to the street to the mayor of Boston, they're all human beings. They all put one one pant leg on at a time, and that was sort of an important important lesson of being humble 
and understanding that we're all the same. And then family. In our family, we work with three brothers. We have one big office that has one desk next to each other. There's four desks in a big office. And now we've got over 250 employees. But we really try hard to create and to keep a family atmosphere uh, that cares for each other, that works hard for each other, um, that executes to, to, together. Um, and, you know, it's harder the bigger you get. You know, every day there's new employees. We hired, I think, 60 new people, 50, 56 people this last year. So it's hard to know everyone's name. It's hard to know everything that's happening, but we try really hard. Uh, we have a lot of different things on lunches with the company, Friday afternoons. We try to keep it as family-centric um, as we possibly can, and we think we're doing a pretty good job. So so that's sort of, I think, the, the, the three most important lessons, hard work, humility, and family. And those are the things that I think keep us grounded uh, and keep us not thinking we're too important. Thanks again for your insights today, Mr. D'Angelo. You have been listening to Inside the Lab at Formula 4 Media. This is Bob McGee.